All right, we've been in Genesis uh, for a long time, feels like, several weeks. Um, we saw the beginning, right, the, the creation of everything, uh, and God creates uh, as, as the culmination of that creation, human beings. Those human beings are given the, the opportunity to steward the earth, to be the, the kings and queens of planet earth. Um, they rebel against God. And there's a breach in their relationship with God because of this sin. And the rest of the Bible is pretty much how God repairs the breach. And one of the major constructs of understanding how God relates with sinful human beings to repair that breach of relationship is the construct of covenant. And that God's uh, desire is that we would respond to his covenant with faith. All right? These are, these are massive ideas in the Bible that help you understand the whole Bible. The idea of covenant, the idea of responding to that covenant with faith. And this chapter we're looking at is one of the most important chapters in understanding uh, definitely, the, 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 the sermons that you've heard the last few weeks really are setting up this understanding of the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and the response to that covenant-keeping, covenant-making God by faith. Uh, there are at least, at least explicitly, five covenants in the Bible. Uh, you've got Noah, and that covenant is made with him, but also a community, and that community is the whole world. The entire earth, really. And then you've got Abraham, which is what we're reading about today, and all of his future descendants. Then you've got Moses and the entire nation of Israel. Then you've got David and the kingdom of Israel. And then you have Jesus and the church. Again, this, this understanding of, of, of covenant, you know, you, if you don't understand what a covenant is, you don't understand the Bible. Like you can't understand just the, the unfolding story of God throughout the Bible. Now, this idea of covenant is somewhat unfamiliar to us as modern people. Um, and so let's talk about just in general what an ancient Eastern world covenant is, right, in general. So a covenant is a, a solemn commitment between two parties that creates a relationship. Right? It's a commitment that creates a relationship. Um, the one we are familiar with is marriage. Right? Think about um, the, the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be. They come down to the front and they are engaged. They are an engaged couple. And then after they enter into this covenant and the covenant-making ceremony, they turn around and the pastor sends them out down, down the aisle, out the church, and now they are husband and wife. What just happened? What changed? covenant. A covenant. That's what happened. And now they're no longer just an engaged couple. They're actually married to each other. They are husband and wife. A, co a covenant is a commitment that creates a relationship. A covenant includes, includes promised obligations. And those obligations will then lead to blessings if they are fulfilled and curses if they're not fulfilled. So there are obligations in the covenant. There are blessings if fulfilled, and there are curses or consequences if they are unfulfilled. You heard about this two weeks ago in Rob Jenner's sermon when he talked about the covenant-making ceremony in Genesis 15. 
where Abraham cuts the animals in half and he puts one on, the, the one half on one side and the other half on the other side and he's waiting for God and he's going to walk through, or so he thinks, he's going to walk through these uh, halved animals. Why is he doing that? Because in an ancient Near East world kind of covenant, you're basically saying, if I don't fulfill my obligations, th- what happened to these animals is going to happen to me. There's going to be consequences if I don't fulfill this, right? So there's obligations that if fulfilled are blessings, and if not fulfilled are curses. And then usually there's also a sign that accompanies the covenant. It's, it's such a solemn, important thing. There's, there's a necessity for there to be a sign. For marriage, it's a ring, right? You exchange rings as a sign of the covenant. For Noah and his covenant, it was a rainbow, right? And this is what the other covenant that we've looked at so far. So this is some, some of the standard sort of operating procedure in the ancient Near East. Um, and these covenants were commonplace, right? So they made sense to, to Abraham. Uh, they made sense uh, to, to those that were in Abraham's household. They, they'd seen covenant making happening. Um, again, we in the modern world, we, we don't really understand the, the covenant-making kind of a culture, but we do understand contracts, right? It might, might be another way to think about covenant. A contract creates a relationship, right? And then if you don't fulfill the obligations of that relationship that the contract has created, there's going to be consequences. So you sign a contract with your cell phone company, right? It has just created a relationship between you and your cell phone company. And your cell phone company promises to service your, your cell phone by giving it the ability to make phone calls and to look up things on the internet and do apps and et cetera, et cetera. And you promise to pay monthly. And if you stop paying monthly, you're going to experience the consequences of no more cell phone. You're not going to have any more access to the internet, no way to make calls or make texts, Right? Uh, the same would be true if they stopped servicing your phone. You would no longer pay them monthly, I'm pretty sure, if your phone didn't work, right? So, so it's, a, it's a contract, it's a, it's, a, it's a commitment that creates a relationship, and there are blessings and curses for keeping that uh, contract or rejecting that co- uh, contract. Now, God's covenants um, are the same and different. So he's taking a cultural construct that they understand, and then he's putting his own spin on it. And he does this a lot. This is, this is one of his things. This is what he does. Uh, even with the covenant with Noah, remember back in Genesis 9, oh, oh so many weeks ago, uh, verse 5, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So it is a covenant. There's an agreement that God makes with human beings. There is a sign. There are obligations, but it's all on God. It's all on God. He's saying, this is what I'm going to not do. <laughs> I'm not going to flood the earth ever again, and I'm actually going to put a rainbow in the sky so that I'll be rem- reminded that I shouldn't flood the earth again. And 
there'll be a lot of reasons to flood the earth again. So it's good that I have a reminder. But it's all on God. He's carrying the covenant. He's making the covenant happen. Then in Genesis 12, God initiates another covenant, this time with Abram, which is then republished, reestablished, reaffirmed in Genesis 15, which was the covenant-cutting ceremony. And that's when Abram cut the animals in half and walked through. But again, it was, it was different. It's God's his own spin on covenant making. Remember, Abram cuts up the animals and he's ready to walk through and make a mutual commitment with God. And he'll make promises and God will make promises just like every other covenant uh, cutting ceremony that Abram had ever seen. And then this is what God does in Genesis 15, 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. God puts Abram to sleep for the covenant ceremony. I mean, how's he going to walk through the animals? He's not. He's not. God's going to walk through the animals, right? When the sun had gone down in verse 17 and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So God's the one that goes through the animals. God's the one that says, I'm going to make good on this covenant. And Abram's taking a nap. Abram's taking a nap. It's a one-way, unconditional covenant that God is making with Abram. And that covenant does create a relationship between him and Abram. And the response that God is wanting from Abram is faith. It's faith. Uh, it's what we read in Genesis 15 as well. Uh, Abram's actually doubting the covenant. He's like, hey, it's been 25 years. I don't have a baby yet. Like, like how is this going to work? I'm struggling here, God. And God says to Abram, Genesis 15, 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and, the number of the and number of the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And then in verse 6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What Abram does in response to the covenant-making covenant God is faith. He believes. It's definitely not based on what Abram does. <laughs> Uh, and what you heard in Noah's sermon last week, if you were here, is Abram and Sarah cooking up a plan B. Sarah giving her maidservant Hagar to Abram to say, maybe you can make a baby with her. And this would be a great plan B for how we're going to get an heir. And then Sarah gets jealous. Then Sarah abuses Hagar to the point that Hagar runs away and flees into the desert and is going to die except for God's divine intervention. These are the people who are in the covenant with God. And, and God says, because of your faith, right, you believed, you've been counted as righteousness. Now, what Abram's uh, covenant is missing is a sign. It's a sign. Um, and he, the sign he gets is not a rainbow. Um, I'm sure he would have wished for a rainbow, but he gets circumcision. He gets the, the cutting off of a piece of flesh off the male reproductive organ. That's what he gets as his sign. Now, circumcision, just like covenant making, 
was not unknown in the ancient world. In fact, it had probably been around for a thousand years before Abram. Uh, there, there, there's some, some pretty good evidence that e- the Egyptians did circumcision a thousand years before uh, Abram. So again, this is a, a, a something that is in the culture, and God's taking it, and he's putting his own spin on it, right? Um, and so it's, it's a sign of the covenant, but it's more than a sign. It's also a symbol. It contains meaning. It's not just a random thing. Like, let's just pick this weird thing where you just cut off a piece of your flesh and that's your, that's your remembrance. It actually is a symbol that contains a tremendous amount of meaning regarding what it means to live by faith. It's one thing to say, you should live by faith. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to believe? And this sign of circumcision gives us a symbol to contain some of the meaning of what it means to live by faith. So let's take a look at, the, at this sign. Um, let's go back to Genesis 17, which is page 11 in those Bibles in your chair. And you, you want to keep your finger in there, page 11, because we're going to go back to that. So Genesis 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan from an, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." So he mostly just republishes what he has promised him already. He's done this already more than once. He's doing it again. He's saying, I'm going to bless you with an offspring. That offspring is going to proliferate into a people. I'm also going to give you a land that that people can live in. So you're going to actually be a nation. You got got people, you got land. Voila, you got a nation. And that nation is going to bless other nations. Right? That, that's, nothing about that is, is new. Um, what is new is that he gets a new name. He gets a new name. And s- instead of being Abram, he's Abraham, which means father of many nations. Right? He's, he's not saying anything new, but, he, but he's giving him more symbols and names and containers for the meaning of this covenant, what it is that he is doing through, in and through Abram. He also renames Sarai. Right? And remember back, back in you know, uh, Genesis 15 that Noah just preached on, Sarai is not looking too good. She's not looking too good. And here she's given a new name, Sarah, which is uh, basically queen is what it means. She's, she's queen. She's woman of high rank. Right? Uh, th- th- I'm telling you, this is by grace through faith, man. <laughs> he is, he is g- he's bestowing them this honor that it is by grace and it's through their faith. 
Remember also that this idea of a name also being equal to your person. Like in the ancient Near East, this, this was the same thing. You know, when we're praising God's name, we're praising Him, praising who, who He is. And God, God's saying, this is, this is who you are, Abram. You are Abraham. Remember back in Genesis 12 where God said, I'm going to make your name great. It's tied to this, right? He's like, I, I, I'm even giving you a new name, right? And this, is, this, is, this name is going to be made uh, great. He's affirming those promises just in, in different ways. Now, never mind, they still don't have a son. <laughs> he's republished the, 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 the covenant like three times, and he's 99 years old. Sarah, Sarah's 90. It's way past menopause, and she's like, he's like, you're going to have a son. And he just keeps going at this promise. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Um, and this covenant is obviously one way. <laughs> it's one way unconditional. Like God's like, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to this. And Sarah and, and Abraham, are, are, they're, they're sinning. They're, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing in terms of the Hagar story. And yet God's like, no, I'm with you. You, you are in covenant with me, and he's calling forth this response of faith, and he gives them a sign for their covenant. Uh, verse nine of Genesis seventeen, God said to Abraham, "As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised." You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not, who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So again, God, God's saying, this is my covenant. This is my covenant. I'm making this covenant with you. And you stay in this covenant by, and you sort of expect him to say, you stay in this covenant by offering up sacrifices or following a bunch of rules, being very moral having mystical experiences with me, so, something. But, but what he says is you stay in this covenant by circumcising every male baby at day eight. That's how you stay in the covenant. Very strange. Very strange to our modern ears. The way you stay in this covenant, Abram, the way that every other person is going to stay in this covenant is you're going to circumcise every male baby at day eight. Now, what is the meaning of that? What is the meaning of that for Abram, for Abraham? What is the meaning of that for us? That's what we're going to look at today. Yeah, that was just introduction, so now we're into the sermon. All right, <clears throat> six things. These aren't going to be very long, okay? Six things, at least, that, that, that this symbol means. One is the covenant forms a community. The covenant forms a community. Uh, two, covenant members are born into the community. Number three, covenant includes the entire household. Right? We'll talk more about all of these. Number four, covenant lays permanent claim to one's entire person. 
Number five, covenant includes the cutting away or the purifying of those in the covenant. And number six, covenant requires the shedding of blood. It means all that and, and more. But here, here's at least six things that are contained in the symbol of circumcision. So the first is the covenant is forming a community. This is, this is not just something Abram is going to do. It's something every male in, in, in his household is going to do. These heads of households are going to be circumcised. And they're going to create a nation of families. And that nation of families is going to become a blessing to all the nations and all the families of the earth. So God's not just interested in having a covenant with Abram. He's interested in creating a covenant community. He is always up to this. <laughs> he is always up to this. You, this is one of the ways you can read the entire Bible, is that, is that God is creating a covenant community. Every time he makes a covenant, he's moving towards this covenant community. Number two, members of the covenant are born into the community. Right? No one's being asked to join the covenant community, especially going forward. Right? These little babies at day eight aren't saying, hey, I'd rather not, yeah, I'd rather not enter the covenant community. I mean, it looks painful, and there was no anesthetic, and I'm not interested in that. Now, it is interesting that day eight is when the blood starts to coagulate for an infant. So that's kind of cool. God knows what's up. Um, you're accepted in this covenant community by virtue of the fact that you've just been born into it. It's by grace, right? So this, this, this picture here that I brought, oh, that's a cute baby, isn't it? That's the cutest baby ever. And that's my grandson. That is Jackson Robert Crumrut right there. And I'm going to try to work in a picture of him at every sermon. <laughs> so just be aware of that. Just be prepared for that. Now, how did this kid end up in my family? He's born into it. He's born into it. Did he do anything to deserve that? You can take that statement however you want to take it. Um, no, he just was born into it. And a much bigger deal is being born into God's people, right? And so what we see here is it, this, this is uh, you enter the community by being born to it. So you start thinking through that. You think, okay, so this thing is based on family, which is, what does that mean that God only wants a certain race for his people? Is that what's, what's going on here? And actually, even in this covenant, it's not just a, a certain ethnicity. It's not just a certain race, is it? It's his whole household. It's his whole household that's being brought into the covenant. It includes servants. It includes slaves, right? Now, the fact that Abraham has slaves, that is upsetting, okay? Absolutely. Uh, and we've already established that Abraham and Sarah are sinners. They're also highly influenced by their culture, just like we are sinners and highly influenced by our culture. And so are they doing things that we would point to and say, don't do that, don't have slaves? Yeah, totally. But on the, on the other side, what we see is something very amazing happening, that people who have been captured or purchased are being brought into the family of God. They're being brought into the covenant community. Of God, that even at this stage, God is drawing in the nations to this covenant 
community, that it's not just because of ethnicity. It's actually something more that's going on here as they're brought into the covenant community. Number four, the covenant lays permanent claim to one's entire person. This sign is a permanent and irreversible (laughs) setting apart of oneself to the covenant. You, You cut this piece of flesh off of you, you can't reverse that. It is permanent. Um, it is a giving of one's entire self to God. This is one of the ways to think about being holy, setting apart your entire self to God. By marking your body as a sign of the covenant, you're pointing to the reality that this covenant isn't a compartmentalized thing, but it's a comprehensive thing. It's not compartmentalized, it's comprehensive. Um, Every time a circumcised person's going to the bathroom, they're reminded of the covenant. Every time they bathe, every time they change clothes, every time they have sex, reminded they're part of the covenant. They don't just are reminded when they go to worship on Saturday for them. They're reminded every day, every day, every day, I'm set apart to the covenant of God. Some of us grew up with compartmentalized religion. Were the only times when our family was watching its language and giving some kind of a credence that there's a God was just one hour on Sunday. And then we came back home and it was as if there was no God. There was no, no speaking of God. Honestly, ancient pagans worship in much the same way. It's very compartmentalized. It's very transactional. You, you go to the shrine and you offer up the sacrifice or you offer up you know, whatever incantation to try to get from that god or goddess what you need for your life. It really wasn't a comprehensive thing. It was a very compartmentalized thing. And so many of us grew up in much the same way. Religion was very compartmentalized. It was not comprehensive. What this covenant is displaying is a comprehensive nature of being in the people of God. It's not transactional. It's transformational. Our whole person, our whole being, body, soul, is being transformed via the relationship that we now have in covenant with God. When you you try to read through Leviticus, which I hope some of you had, and you will, um, we see a lot of crazy laws in there that we just go, what is that, right? Uh, Clean animals you can eat, unclean animals you can't eat, cleansing rituals for all kinds of things, like even after childbirth. Protocols for how to deal with skin disease, cleansing rituals for bodily discharges, uh, rules about sexual intercourse, legal statutes that regulate everything from stealing someone's wife to stealing someone's ox, organization to, uh, of, of the entire calendar is in there, like regular Sabbaths and feasts and sabbatical years. And we just look at that and go, wow, what is, what is all this stuff? Part of what it's communicating is that the covenant is including every part of your life, everything. It is comprehensive. It's not a compartmentalized relationship with God where you try to get what you want and then move on with the rest of your life. He's involved in every part of your life. This is what it means to live by faith. This is what it means to live by faith. This is how living by faith is different than living by rules. Living by faith is absolutely comprehensive. Living by rules is compartmentalized. You say, well, I checked all this stuff. I'm good. Cool. Moving on. Living by faith is, is a completely, utterly surrendered heart to God in everything. Right? 
And this is the, the, the nature of the covenant that Abram and his people are making with, with God. And partly how that's being communicated is they're cutting a piece of flesh off their body. <laughs> so that your whole person, body and soul, has been set apart for God. The other kind of half of the, of the holy coin is the cutting away or purifying of your life, right? On, on one hand, it's a, it's a faith thing. It's a giving of your whole self. And another is you're leaving some things behind in order to fully trust in God. And that cutting away is symbolic of the cutting away of sin. Um, even by the time we get to Moses, this is being taught, right? Deuteronomy 10 uh, this is Moses kind of giving his final sermon to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. And he says, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and he chose their offspring after them. Talking about covenant. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And so he's letting them know this, this circumcision, it, it contains more. It's, it's more than just a sign. It's a symbol. It's, it's communicating to you that you're set apart to God. You're also forsaking sin. You're repenting and you're believing. Right? Those things are in concert with each other. We see this, though, even in a marriage covenant. Right? You're, married, you're turning towards your spouse in committed love, but you're also turning away from like four billion possible candidates for being a spouse. Right? You're saying, those people can no longer be in a dating relationship with me, a romantic relationship with me, a sexual relationship. Sorry, four billion people. I repent from you, and I turn toward my spouse. Right? You can't believe, you can't do live by faith, except also repenting from turning away from sin. And then number six, the entering the covenant requires the shedding of blood. Now, this is very ancient Near East kind of covenant-making stuff. Um, in this situation, it's not animals shedding blood, which would have been the norm. Again, God's putting his own spin on this. But it's the males, the heads of household, that are giving their blood for the making of the covenant. And if they don't participate in the, 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 the shedding of blood, the circumcision, then their families are no longer in the covenant. So, so these heads of households are shedding the blood that then protects their families, that brings their families into the covenant of God. That's the doorway for those families to be able to be in the covenant people of God, is the shedding of the blood. Does this sound familiar? Anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, if they don't participate in it, they're out of the covenant. If they do participate, they're in the covenant. Okay. Um, so what does this all mean for us? Right? That, it may make sense for Abraham, but what, what does this mean for us, well, this covenant's pointing forward to a true and better covenant in Christ, right? It's, it's pointing to this thing that God is going to do or has done and is doing uh, to wrap this whole world up. Um, and so there's this continuity between the covenant God makes with Abraham and the new covenant, which he makes with us through Jesus. So let's look at those six again and see how they communicate to us, right? Jesus' covenant, number one, forms a community. The Jesus' covenant forms a community. God's not just saving individuals, although He is, but He's also saving them to a redeemed community. He, he's saving a new family. He's saving a new nation. He's saving a new kingdom. He's saving a new humanity 
Right? So he's not just saving individuals, right? He's saving them into a community. Verse Peter 2.9, uh, you, can, you can hear Peter using these phrases that come from Old Testament concepts, but he's bringing them forward into New Testament people of God. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This new community, this new church that has been saved by Jesus. And it's expressed in the church local, right? Like this is why it's so important to be a part of a church. This is what Jesus is up to. Don't you want to be at the center of what Jesus is up to? He's up to not just redeeming individuals, but drawing them into a community. And so the, 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 the need to be a part of the imperfect, frustrating, sinful, beautiful, powerful, world-changing people of God is really important. And not just listen to podcasts and worship music and kind of doing your own thing. This is what Jesus is up to. And you want to be in the center of what Jesus is up to. He is creating a new community. You say, okay, okay, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Well, how do I get in? you got to be born in. you got to be born into this thing. Members of Jesus' covenant are born into the community. Not physical birth, but spiritual birth. Right? We read in John 1, for instance, for example, um, verse 11, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed, there's that belief, faith, in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Right? How do we get into this place? How do we get into this new community? We're born into it. We're spiritually born from above. We're born into this new community. So the circumcising of the babies, which was, a, was, was grace. Right? It, was, it was like, welcome to the community. What, the, what has this baby done? Nothing. <laughs> it's grace. Right? And that's pointing forward to the, the, the grace that would be extended to this new community and the new covenant as we're born into this uh, spiritually speaking. Perhaps that miracle is happening this morning. Perhaps this is you. <laughs> you you are, are starting to come to understand the grace extended to you in Christ. And you're like, I want to receive that by faith. That's, that's a miracle. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that, to enter in to life with Jesus through faith, but also life with Jesus' people in local church. To so say, okay, well, I, I want to be in this community. God's moving in me to, to, to be spiritually born into this community. What am I signing up for exactly? Right? Well, the Jesus covenant includes every kind of person in the world. This is, this is the kind of community that Jesus is creating. Every kind of person in the world. Um, male and female. Young and old. Black, brown, white. Rich and poor. Uneducated. Educated. Every language, every culture, every nation. This promise that was made to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. When, when he's saying to Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless all the nations. He, he, in the back of God's mind, he's saying, and the way I'm going to do that is in Jesus. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse this dispersion that happened at the Tower of Babel that we talked about. I'm going to bring all the nations in that, right? This is what Jesus is getting at when he does, says things to the disciples, like Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Right? All nations. Jesus is building a multi-everything community. A multi-everything community. We speak a lot here uh, in the U.S., at least, about unity and diversity. And that longing has been put there by God. We long for the diversity of humanity to be able to come together and be one. We long for that, right? The only way that it can be, that it can really happen is in Christ. That longing is put there by God. It can only be fulfilled in Jesus. And this is, this is what God has been up to, right? This is what he's been doing. He's been, he's been working at bringing the nations together to be in community with each other. And it will happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> we, can, we can see a glimpse of the, the end of all days and what it's going to look like in heaven. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked, and this is John writing about this vision. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the culmination of God's plan to create a community in the new covenant. It's to reunite people to himself and each other through the work of the Lamb. And you say, okay, okay, man, I, yes, I, I love this. I love this vision. I want to be a part of it. Uh, again, what am I signing up for? So verse uh, number four is that Jesus' covenant lays claim to your entire person. This is what you're signing up for. Want to be a Christ follower? This is what you're signing up for. The Jesus covenant is not compartmentalized religion. It is comprehensive. It's an unconditional surrender of body and soul to God in faith. And whether you realize it or not, you're going to unconditionally surrender body and soul to something. You're going to have a God. You're going to bow down to that God. And there's only one true God. And so God calling us to a comprehensive surrender of body and soul to Him, and it is such a grace. It is such a grace because every other taskmaster that we might bow down to will just kill us. But, the, but bowing to the one true God, this is where life is, right? So it's not like this, oh, man, I got to bow down to God. Oh, gosh, okay, I guess I will. It's like, no, this is life. This is life. And it's a comprehensive surrender of your entire person. This is all over the Bible, but here's my favorite the description of this in the Scriptures, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You're yielding your complete self to God. This is, this is one of the things that the, the, the baptism is signifying, right? It's like, like your whole person is being baptized. It's, it's not that, oh, I think I'll give half my life to the Lord in faith, but I'm going to keep some things out of the water. You know, this is something they did in the Crusades where they would baptize the, the soldiers going to the Crusades, but they would hold their sword out of the water so that they wouldn't have to, you know, surrender their, their sword to God. That's not really a good way to do baptism. No. It's an absolute, complete, comprehensive surrender in faith to God. 
Number five, the, the, the Jesus covenant includes the cutting away of the old life. This is the other part that you're signing up for. Um, it's not a way to earn entry into the covenant, uh, but it is a response to the covenant. Is the cutting away of the old life as you turn toward God in faith. Repentance and faith always go together. Um, the kindness of the covenant is what is motivating this. And this is one of the places where you see this, Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? He's, he's talking about God's covenant love. Do you presume on that? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So, so the covenant-keeping, covenant-making God, as he moves toward us in that unconditional love for us, it calls forth from us repentance and faith. And then how is this covenant made possible? Well, there's shedding of blood, but it's only by one. It's only by one. Um, and it's the head of the entire household of God, right? So you see those, in, those, those head of households that are having their flesh cut and bleeding, right? And it's pointing forward to the ultimate head of household, which would be Jesus Christ. And, and he is cut. He, he bleeds in order to make the covenant possible. Um, we, we, we talk about this every time we come to this table, right? 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is one of the two signs of our covenant. And so we are remembering the covenant cutting that Jesus did for us as his blood was shed. And it wasn't just a circumcision, although he did go through circumcision. And he cried and he bled like every other Jewish baby. But he also cried and bled on the cross. And he died. A real death in order to take on our sin and open up the gate of being reconciled to God. But also in this covenant community that God's been up to creating the entire entirety of uh, the Bible. And so we are reminded of that when we, when we come to this table. As I said before, uh, that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he didn't say, okay, guys, you know, if you'll try really hard next week and follow these three rules, then I will offer grace to you. He just offered it. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the one-way, unconditional covenant that he's made over and over and over and over and over again as a church. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many. Or that many. <laughs> as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of covenant blood that was poured out by Jesus. And it was poured out once and for all. This is why we, we don't need to like, have an animal sacrifice every week. We don't need to have any flesh cuttings. Jesus, once for all, went through 
the true and better cutting in order to extend this unconditional covenant to us. And the response that he calls forth from us is faith. It's faith. There's the Bible right there. Um, and it's such good news. It's such good news. One of, one of the few Hebrew words I know uh, in, in, in the Old Testament is the word hesed, which is a special word for the covenant love of God. In the ESV, it's usually steadfast love is how it's translated. But it, it is God's unconditional love for his people. And as he extends that at a high cost to himself, we then respond with faith. And so we're reminded of that high cost every time we come to the table and we get up and we open our hands and we receive it in faith as a gift. This is what we did when we became Christians. If you're a Christian, it's what we're reminded of again and again and again and again. It's by grace and it's through faith. This is how we walk in Christ, both as individual but also as a community. So let's pray. God, we marvel at your grace. You gave grace to Abraham and Sarah. You gave grace to Abraham and Sarah's many descendants, including us, who are, have been born into uh, his family by faith. And we are grateful, God, for uh, the covenant community that we get to share uh, with each other, as imperfect as we are, uh, as, as crazy and hard as church life is some days. But God, we're, we're grateful this morning. Um, for, for the community that you have created, uh, certainly universally, but uh, even, even, even more in some ways uh, locally as we get to do this life together in covenant with you. And so we get, we're grateful for um, you and, and you being a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And we confess we could have never made the covenant or kept it, but because you have, Lord, we can respond to you with repentance and faith. So help us to do that even as we take the bread and cup to respond to you anew in, with repentance and with faith and uh, to continue to walk this uh, life by faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.